lovely listeners, and welcome to another episode of Yas Queens, a history podcast. I'm your host, Emily. This is our third episode on Eleanor of Provence and her three sisters, all of whom would be queens. I know I initially said this would be a four-part miniseries, but I'm thinking now it may be five or even six episodes. As I'm continuing to do my research and writing out these scripts, there's just too much to pack into four episodes, especially since our first two episodes were a little shorter. Now that I'm on my summer break from teaching, I intend for the summertime episodes to be longer, as I'll have more time for working on the podcast, but still, there's just too much that happens during the lives of these four women, plus our honorary sister, Eleanor de Montfort, to fit into four episodes. In our last episode, we introduced Eleanor de Montfort, the baby sister of Henry III, and Sancia, the third of the four Provençal sisters. Eleanor de Montfort is married to Simon de Montfort, one of England's most powerful barons, who is also going to have some drama with his brother-in-law, the king. The two Eleanors have a much healthier and closer relationship than their husbands did, as we'll continue to see. Even when Henry and Simon were feuding, the two Eleanors were still very supportive of one another. They were often pregnant at the same time as well. You know, they were, they're both Eleanors. They have the Eleanor bond. We ended the previous episode with sister number three, Sancia, marrying Richard of Cornwall, another of Henry III's siblings. As a quick roundup before we dive into today's episode, the eldest sister, Marguerite, or Margaret, is married to Louis IX and is the Queen of France. Eleanor, sister number two, is married to Henry III and is the Queen of England. Sancia is married to Richard of Cornwall, the King of England's brother, and she isn't a queen yet, but that will come in time. We'll talk more about Eleanor and Henry's home life in this episode, since we haven't talked much about their marriage yet, and then we'll introduce the fourth and final of the sisters, Beatrice of Provence. Eleanor and Henry generally had a very happy marriage. They'd have their fights, as all married couples do, but compared to some of their predecessors, their relationship was always much more stable. Even when they did have disagreements, they worked through them. Eleanor wouldn't try to overthrow her husband at any point, like Eleanor of Aquitaine had. In 1238, an assassination attempt against Henry was thwarted because of how close his marriage to Eleanor was. The would-be assassin broke into Henry's chambers, but he was not there since he was with Eleanor in her bedroom at the time. The assassin encountered a maid before the king, since Henry was in a completely different room in a bar different part of the castle, um, and the maid was able to scream and send up an alarm, so the assassin was caught before he could get to Henry. The cultures in Provence and England were different, but Henry preferred the ways of Provence, if anything. He adored his wife. As we saw in the previous episode, Henry loved giving expensive gifts to the Eleanors in his life, both his wife and his sister. Eleanor of Provence would get surprised with new robes and jewelry when Henry wanted to dote upon her. Both of them were outgoing people who liked to play host, party, and enjoyed dancing and nice things. Henry and Eleanor definitely would have been in favor of treat yourself days. They were a well-matched pair. Eleanor was ambitious for both of them. She recognized Henry's flaws and felt that her strengths could help balance out his weaknesses. Unlike with his parents' marriage, where Isabella of Angouillame was given no power in England, Henry trusted Eleanor's authority. Her decisions were at times misguided, especially as she often thought with her heart over her head when it came to her children, but she did want to do well at governing. She admired her influential uncles and wanted to learn from them. Speaking of those uncles, let's have a little update on the Eagles of Savoy and what they've been up to. We'll start with Guillaume. 
Guillaume had helped arrange both Marguerite and Eleanor's marriages. When Eleanor and Henry got married, he accompanied her to England. Henry then made him the head of a council of advisors and once wrote to Pope Gregory IX about how much he needed Guillaume in England. Guillaume was personally acquainted with the Pope, the Holy Roman Emperor, and of course the King of France as well as England. For the first year and a half or so of Henry and Eleanor's marriage, you could say that Guillaume was really the one ruling England behind the scenes. Guillaume would have probably continued to be a power player in England, but he met a sudden end. In 1238, Henry chose Guillaume to accompany his force of knights from Gascony when the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II had invaded Italy. Guillaume traveled on to Italy and had several military successes, but died suddenly possibly having been poisoned. Henry and Eleanor felt his loss greatly as they had come to rely heavily upon him. Henry was supposedly so distressed when he learned that Guillaume had died that he ripped off his clothes and threw them into the fire. I'm, I'm not really sure what that was meant to accomplish, but you do you, Henry. With Guillaume gone, it was time for another Eagle of Savoy to fill the void. Henry invited Peter to England in 1240 and knighted him in early 1241, as well as named him Earl of Richmond, although Peter would never actually use the title. In 1246, Peter was given land in London between the Strand and the Thames, where he built the Savoy Palace. Today, this land is, uh, today this land is the site of the famous Savoy Hotel, one of the best-known places in London for high tea. I've heard of the Savoy, but hadn't made the connection between Savoy Hotel and the Savoyard Brothers or anything like that um, until I came across this fun detail in my research, but I thought that was worth mentioning. It was fun. Um, Peter would continue to be a major influence in English politics and was known to be Eleanor's favorite of her many uncles. It's worth noting that all of the Eagles of Savoy would be very loyal to their family. Our third Eagle of Savoy to talk about is Boniface, the seventh brother in the family. In 1240, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Edmund Rich, died. While Boniface had never been to England and had never even met Henry before, Eleanor and Peter were able to successfully persuade Henry to make Boniface the new Archbishop of Canterbury. He already liked at least two of the Eagles of Savoy, so they were kind of a package deal, and he was like, sure, I like your brothers, you can be Archbishop. This was one of the most shocking decisions when it came to elevating the Eagles of Savoy in England, as usually they were, you know, at least present and known before they started gaining power. This sudden rise of a complete stranger was a bit disconcerting to the English. While Henry was fine with promoting this guy that he had never met, other people were like, you know, it'd be kind of cool if he showed up and we got to know him first before he became an archbishop. Henry would also provide pensions for Eleanor's mother, Beatrice of Savoy, and her uncles, Thomas and Amadeus, in the 1240s. While the Savoyards were rising in England, the Marshals were falling. Gilbert Marshall, who had formed an uprising against Henry with Simon de Montfort, did eventually reconcile with the king. He ended up on Henry's shit list again, though, thanks to Peter of Savoy. Peter challenged Gilbert at a tournament. Henry liked shiny things, but wasn't into the violence of tournaments, so he had banned tournaments. Gilbert couldn't be stopped, though, and decided to organize another tournament in June of 1241, even though Henry was obviously going to still be against the idea. Like, just because he, you are doing a different tournament, you canceled the first one, he's going to cancel the second one. Uh, Henry didn't get the chance to punish Gilbert for this decision, however, as the tournament went through and Gilbert's own hubris caught up to him first. 
Gilbert decided to show off while riding on an unfamiliar horse, and the horse threw him and then dragged him to his death. So Gilbert Marshall is now out of the picture. Things were still tense between Henry and Simon de Montfort. The Montforts were in a bind financially. They saw how much Henry respected his mother-in-law, Beatrice of Savoy, and how many gifts he lavished upon her, so they smartly turned to her for help. Beatrice was shocked to hear that Henry was ignoring his own sister, while he had heaped money and titles upon her brothers, Guillaume, Thomas, Peter, and Boniface. Beatrice pulled the mom card and shamed Henry for his treatment of his little sister. Henry may have been planning on doing this anyways without Beatrice's nagging, but it certainly didn't hurt, and he ended up completely restoring the Montforts to favor. Was it Beatrice, or was it that he knew he'd need Simon's help in upcoming battles? Unclear, but the end result was that the Montforts were back in favor. Let's introduce Beatrice of Provence, the last sister, now. It's 1244. Mama Beatrice of Savoy has been in England since accompanying Sancia, now called Cynthia by the English, but I will keep referring to her as Sancia, um, to her wedding with Richard. Before we talk about Sancia, let's do a quick update on the families of each of her older sisters, as that's going to be important soon. Marguerite and Louis initially had a hard time getting pregnant, as we discussed in the last episode. Once they got Blanche of Castile to move out of their house, though, those babies started coming rapidly. Marguerite would have 11 children in total, but her third and for her third child and first son, Louis, was born on February 25th, 1244. Her firstborn, a daughter named Blanche, died in 1243, so at the time when we're introducing Beatrice of Provence, Marguerite had two living children, a daughter and a son. Eleanor had three children as of 1244, Edward, Margaret, and Beatrice. All of these repeating names aren't confusing at all. Sancia and Richard had not had any children yet. They'd end up having two sons, but not until 1246 and 1249. Mama Beatrice of Savoy returns to Provence to find that Raymond Berenger, her husband, is seriously ill. He does not get better, but lingers for more than a year, at which point it is clear to everyone that he is dying. How soon, they're not entirely sure. He's already stuck around for a year, but Raymond is definitely not going to make it much longer. It's time to figure out the succession. As a reminder, the four sisters were the only living children of Beatrice and Raymond. They didn't have any surviving sons that would be the clear and obvious heir here. Provence can't go to Marguerite or Eleanor. That's going to be too complicated with their husbands being kings and would also potentially create drama with whichever one did, doesn't get Provence. And again, as a reminder, Provence at this point is part of the Holy Roman Emperor. Holy Roman Empire, not the Holy Roman Emperor. That would be different. Um, so yes, part of the Holy Roman Empire. So if Marguerite or Eleanor inherited it, then that's weird because they are the queens of different kingdoms than the kingdom that already claims Provence. So that's not going to work. Sancia and Richard are contenders. Richard has international stature from going on crusade. He's well-respected. And he doesn't have his own kingdom to rule over, so there's no conflict of interest and he'd be able to focus on Provence. There's also Raymond's relatives in Aragon. There was a long tradition in the family that the title of Count of Provence would go to a Prince of Aragon. Finally, a decision is reached. All of Provence is left to Raymond's youngest daughter, Beatrice of Provence, who is at this point 13 years old. 
I'm going to keep saying Beatrice of Provence or BP for the daughter and Beatrice of Savoy for the mother. I will not abbreviate that for obvious reasons um, to differentiate between the two of them. As obviously I'm going to be talking about them both a bit back and forth. BP is 13. She is still with her mother at this point. While Beatrice of Provence, aka BP, inherits all, her father's chief advisor, Romeo de Villeneuve, is named her chief advisor. Um, so Raymond can ensure that someone experienced is in charge. Romeo's been around doing this job for a bit. Um, he also was the one who helped organize uh, Marguerite's marriage. So, you know, he's, yeah, he's been around. He knows the drill. BP herself is relatively well prepared for the role, as well as a 13-year-old girl can be, of course. She is self-assured and well-educated. There had been a possibility of her inheriting for some time now, although of course her parents hoped she would have been an adult with a husband by the time she inherited, but at the very least they were like, nah, it might be BP, so let's make sure she's prepared. Um, so she had been trained to rule to some extent. Furthermore, BP was ambitious and felt a need to prove herself. She definitely has youngest child syndrome. Unsurprisingly, as the youngest of four sisters, she was the little sister that felt the need to compete with her elder sisters. She'd grown up with two queens for sisters who had been held up to her as role models. Now, as their father's heir, BP had the chance to compete with her sisters and feel like she was on the same playing field as them. The three older sisters and their husbands were not happy about Raymond's will. The sisters mourned the loss of their father. Their family had always been close, but they quickly turned to focus on the terms of his will. They didn't have much time to argue about, though. This decision had made BP the most eligible bachelorette in Europe, and at 13, making her incredibly vulnerable. She was young and seen as weak. BP and Beatrice of Savoy were quickly mobbed by potential husbands of all ages. Got a 13-year-old girl and her mom. 13-year-old girl is now inherited. The 13-year-old has now inherited Provence, so obviously all the men were like, oh, she has no one there to protect her. We're going to jump on this. One of these potential husbands was old Raymond VII of Toulouse, the lifelong nemesis of Raymond Berenger, her father. You might remember that Raymond of Toulouse had been married by proxy to Sancia, only to lose out when he couldn't get an annulment from his previous marriage and Richard of Cornwall swooped in. Raymond had ended up marrying one of the daughters of Isabel of Angouillem and Hugh de Lusignan, but that marriage was ending. For one thing, the arrangement had taken place before the Lusignans had fallen from grace, so their daughter was no longer as appealing as a wife as she ha once had been. She lost a lot of her value um, when her parents fell from grace, basically. Their marriage had never been consummated, so Raymond was looking for an annulment again. Technically, he needed two annulments, as he had never gotten one for his previous marriage before he married this daughter of the Lusignans. When he'd wanted to marry Sancia, the problem was that the Pope had died and a new one hadn't been appointed, so there wasn't anyone who could give him his annulment, so that was why he hadn't gotten that first annulment. However, now there was a new Pope, Innocent IV. Raymond wasn't leaving anything up to chance and went in person to apply for the annulment. Some other potential grooms included the son of Richard of Cornwall from his first marriage, since again, Sancia hadn't had any babies yet, so uh, Richard of Cornwall's son was not in any way related. Well, at least I'm sure he was somehow related because everyone's related, but he wasn't, you know, this was not Beatrice's nephew. This is Beatrice's sister's stepson. Um, anyways, 
son of Richard of Cornwall, um, and the son of the King of Aragon. The Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II also wanted Beatrice to marry into his family. Some of these men were more aggressive than others when it came to how they tried to pursue Beatrice. The King of Aragon sent an army, while Frederick sent his imperial navy. Beatrice of Savoy was not about this. She knew she needed reinforcements and someone that all of these prospective suitors would respect. So she sent an urgent message to the Pope and requested official papal protection. She used the angle of fearing for BP if she was forced to marry the son of an excommunicate, which the Pope would not stand for. Innocent IV jumped at this, and BP became a ward of the church. Pope Innocent IV was now like a surrogate father to her and would decide, with Beatrice of Savoy's approval, whom she married. Now, it's time for the sisters to try to fight for their inheritance. Back in the day, remember, Blanche of Castile had asked for 10,000 marks as Marguerite's dowry, which was paid partially in loans and property. If BP inherited everything and her sisters got nothing, that meant that Marguerite would never see any of those 10,000 marks. Marguerite had gained confidence through her years as queen and battling her powerful mother-in-law. She was the eldest sister and saw herself as the most mature, competent, and prestigious, especially after... Um, Henry III's recent military losses to France. She felt she was worth 10,000 marks at least. Marguerite had spent her decade of marriage learning from her mother-in-law whether Blanche intended for her to or not. The French royal family began forming a plan. They would have BP married to Charles of Anjou, one of Louis's younger brothers. Charles wasn't a bad match for BP. While he was a younger son and in need of land of his own to call his own, hence why he would be interested in Provence, he was still the younger brother of the King of France. This would mean that the four sisters would be married to two pairs of brothers, Henry and Richard of England and Louis and Charles of France. France was the dominant power in Europe at this time, after the Holy Roman Empire, so Louis and Charles could definitely protect Provence as needed. On December 1245, Louis, Marguerite, Blanche, Charles, Pope Innocent IV, Boniface of Savoy, a.k.a. the Archbishop of Canterbury, and Philippe of Savoy met to negotiate a deal. The deal came together quickly, as all of the participants had the same end goal, and this took less than a week to resolve. The terms were that Louis would recognize Pope Innocent's deposition of the Holy Roman Emperor and would back the Pope in his fight. Provence would go to Beatrice's children, or to Sancia and her children if Beatrice left no heirs. Under no circumstance would Charles inherit Provence. Finally, the inheritance of Raymond Berenger would not be split, and the claims of the three other sisters would be denied. So Beatrice is getting all. With these terms decided upon, the French jumped to action, as the King of Aragon was still preparing to attack Provence. Charles of Anjou and Philippe of Savoy marched off with 500 knights, and Louis promised to back them with additional forces if needed. When Charles and Philippe arrived in Provence, the King of Aragon's army was besieging the castle that the two Beatrices were in. Now, imagine for a moment that you're Beatrice of Provence. You're a 13-year-old girl who has just lost her father, and now you're trapped in a castle with your mother while some old man from Aragon is trying to break his way in to force you to marry his son. How would you feel if a strapping 19-year-old French prince fought off those invading forces with your trusted uncle and swore to protect you? Charles got to play the hero from the start, and BP was immediately won over. While Eleanor and Henry would protest the match, Charles and BP were pretty well matched. 
They were six years apart, not terrible. They were on a fairly even playing field, being the youngest children in their respective families. They'd both been spoiled and ignored alternately because of this. Both of them were jealous of their more powerful older siblings. They were ambitious and had similar interests. Charles doted on BP with gifts and took her with him generally when he traveled. Charles and BP may have had a happy marriage, but Charles was kind of a brat. Their wedding was rushed so Charles could claim BP before anyone else could make her their wife. Of course, he took the rush job wedding as an insult and complained that it was not as grand as Louis and Marguerite's wedding had been. For one thing, Charles had been a child when the wedding had taken place, so, you know, his memory of what the wedding was like, already questionable. For another, Louis was the king. Charles was not. So, of course, the king's wedding is going to be more grand than his younger brother's. And finally, Louis and Marguerite's wedding hadn't been rushed like Charles and BP's. The French court had had all the time in the world to put together a grand affair, show off their wealth and power when Louis and Marguerite had married, so obviously this quickie wedding wouldn't compare. Charles just needs to calm down. While Marguerite had been heavily involved in the plotting behind this marriage, she would come to somewhat regret her involvement. She had never liked Charles and would find him even more annoying over time. To her, Charles had been overindulged by the family, and his ambitions competed with the interests of her husband. Being the oldest to Beatrice's youngest, the two sisters barely knew each other. BP had been a toddler when Marguerite had left Provence to marry Louis. The two would spend more time together now that they were married to brothers than they had previously, but Marguerite didn't necessarily feel any loyalty to her youngest sister. After the wedding, Marguerite became closer to Eleanor and Sancia, and once the royal family was back in Paris, she openly declared that she preferred her English relatives to her husband's family. Charles didn't stop there when it came to pissing off the Provençal women. While he made use of the Provençal advisor, Romeo de Villeneuve, and even promoted him, he quickly began to exclude Beatrice of Savoy from running Provence. This was a huge insult to her, as she had been running the show since Raymond Berenger had fallen ill. Like her brothers, she was talented at statescraft, and she knew what she was doing. She didn't just complain, she moved out and began actively plotting against Charles. While the Provencal family was generally very close and looked out for one another, the marriage of Charles and BP is when things get messy. I mentioned earlier that BP would often travel with Charles, which is going to lead us into our next chapter in the story. Before we get into that, though, let's jump back over to England and check in on Eleanor and Henry. When Henry received the news that Raymond Berenger had died, he was on campaign in Wales and forbade any announcement of it because he wanted to be the one who to tell Eleanor, which is pretty sweet. Again, like they had a, they had a good marriage. That's really nice that he wanted to be the one to break the news to her. You know, better she hear the news from her husband who would know how to comfort her through it than from just some rando. Raymond had left dowries to his other daughters, which wouldn't end up getting paid again, per the agreement struck by the French royal family, the Pope, and the two Savoyard brothers. Henry and Richard had complained to Innocent IV about the injustice of this, but were basically told they just have to deal with it. In the summer of 1246, Henry and Eleanor's marriage was strengthened when their eldest son and heir, Edward, fell seriously ill. Both were very devoted parents, especially for the time period in which they lived. Eleanor had grown up with this very close family, and she brought that into her own family when she had children. Eleanor insisted on staying at Edward's side until he got better, 
which raised some eyebrows as they were at a monastery and there were rules about how long women were allowed to be there. Eleanor flouted the rules so she could be by her son's side and Edward did recover. The Savoyards had had a stronghold over English politics for years at this point, but it's time for some new players to enter the field. As you might remember, Henry III had a whole bunch of half-siblings from his mom, Isabella of Angouillem's second marriage. Isabella had had five children, including Henry, with King John, and then nine children with Hugh X de Lusignan. Remarkably, all 14 children survived to adulthood. For a quick run-through, the nine Lusignan children were Hugh XI, Aymer, Agnes, Alice, Guy, or presumably Guy because France, um, Geoffrey, Isabella, William, and Marguerite. Props to Isabella for waiting until her third daughter before she named a daughter after herself, although her first son was named after her husband, so I don't know, maybe she should have named Agnes after herself instead. Anyways, the Lusignans. William, Alice, Guy, and Aymer had traveled to England, and Geoffrey was supposedly on his way. The sudden arrival of the Lusignans at court raised some eyebrows. While the Savoyards had risen to power in England, and most recently, Henry had arranged for Amadeus of Savoy's granddaughter Alice to be married to Edmund de Lacy, Earl of Lincoln, showing how he was marrying the English nobility into the Savoyards and giving them even more power, um, the Lusignans came over together all at once and weren't discreet about wanting power. They alienated the English court even more thanks to Henry, although he probably didn't mean to cause problems. The Lusignans jumped to the head of the patronage queue, and Henry decided to put together an elaborate introduction for them to the court during his favorite holiday of the year, St. Edward's Day. Henry wanted to make it clear to the Savoyards and Eleanor as well that there was a new powerful family in town. We'll continue to talk about the Lusignans, but I want to jump over to introducing our final topic for this episode, which will lead us into the main topic for episode four in this miniseries. As I said previously, Charles of Anjou liked to bring BP along with him when he traveled. The two, as well as Louis and Marguerite, are about to go on a major adventure. Louis had become incredibly sick and almost died. He made a vow that if he lived, he would go on... Crusade! Blanche of Castile begged him not to, saying that France needed him there, but Louis wouldn't listen. Marguerite was also worried about Louis and what might happen, but at the same time, she was thrilled that her husband was finally standing up to his domineering mother. Louis began preparations for this crusade. Henry and Eleanor were invited to join them, but since they were still mad about BP's marriage to Charles and the fact that the French had ensured that Eleanor wouldn't get any inheritance, they declined to participate. Louis asked Simon de Montfort to join, and Henry made him seneschal of Gascony to persuade him to stay a role that is going to become important. Louis was having a hard time recruiting people to join his crusade, but his efforts were helped by Marguerite. Marguerite insisted on joining him, and once people heard that the Queen of France was going on crusade, many other noble wives agreed to go. Women being more interested in the crusade made it easier for their husbands to say yes to, as now they wouldn't be leaving their families for an extended time. At the very least, it would be a couple strip. For some context, the initial price tag for the crusade, not including expenses incurred once Henry, oh, I'm sorry, not including expenses incurred once Louis left France, was 1,500,000 livres. At that point, the royal income was around 250,000 livres annually. 
While Louis and Marguerite were on crusade, Blanche of Castile would be in charge of their children and would be the regent of France. Now, you might think Blanche is going to be super hyped about this. She gets to be in charge again. But no, she was not thrilled about this. While she had loved power all her life, she was now in her 60s and was ready to go into retirement. When Louis said his goodbyes, she told him, Alas, my fine son, I will never see you again in this mortal life. A prediction that would come true. All of Louis's brothers accompanied him on the crusade. Charles promised BP that she could join them, and she was thrilled by the idea of this adventure and getting away from the uncomfortable family situation at court. Of course, most of the family was going, but you know, it's different when you're not at home. The French royal family left on crusade on June 12th, 1248, which brings us to the final point of this episode. In the next episode, we'll talk more about how this crusade went for the French and how Blanche's prediction comes true. We'll also talk about Henry and Eleanor beginning to marry off their kids and another fallout between Henry and Simon. Sanchez around, I promise, but hey, she's the shy sister. My main sources for this episode were Four Queens, the Provencal sisters who ruled Europe by Nancy Goldstone, and The Two Eleanors of Henry III, The Lives of Eleanor of Provence and Eleanor de Montfort by Darren Baker. As has been the case with this miniseries on Eleanor Provence, I will be continuing to release episodes weekly on Patreon and every other week on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm still not sure if this miniseries is going to end up being five episodes or more. Four is definitely not going to be enough, but I'm not sure if I'll need a six or not. Uh, six or not, we will we'll find out. We'll find out as I work on episodes four and five. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a review on your preferred listening platform and follow on Instagram, linked in the episode description. Until next time.